This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See, this brings out the essential characteristics of an ambassador he's sent. It also brings out the essential characteristic of a preacher of the Word of God. You know, it's commonly thought. You think, okay, uh, how, are we, how are we gonna know, if, you know, this person should be a preacher? What's his qualification? Oh, he's got natural ability, got natural ability to speak in front of people. Okay, good. He's got an education. Oh, which seminary did you graduate from? Which degree does he have? That really disqualifies me. I've never, I've never sat through a Bible class in a Bible college, a Bible university, or a Bible seminary, so I should give up now. But the most important qualification for a preacher is whether or not he's been sent by God. That's it, and that's what's emphasized in Romans 10, Romans 10, 13. When you get to this, the most important thing that can happen to any person, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? See, Romans 10, 15 does not say, and how shall they preach except they have natural abilities to speak? Or it doesn't say, Romans 10, 15 doesn't say, how shall they preach except they have a, a master's degree in theology? And Romans 10, 15 says, how shall they preach except they be sent? Now, the sending from God is the only qualification for a preacher. Moses had no ability to speak. And what he said to God in Exodus 4.10, Exodus 4.10 shows us, Moses said unto the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, number one, neither, here, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech, number two, and of a slow tongue, number three. So right away, he's disqualified, right? But God said to him, who made man's mouth? Who made the dumb? Who made the deaf? Who made the seeing? Who made the blind? Have not I the Lord? 
Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So here's a man with no eloquence, a slow speech, a slow tongue. Moses didn't have any natural ability to speak, and Moses didn't have any Bible instruction. Moses had one qualification, and that was one word that God said to Moses in Exodus 4.12, and it was simply the word, go. <laughs> that was it. So if you went to Moses and he had on his wall here his degree, it would just say, go. <laughs> and the man with no natural ability to speak commands millions of people and they follow him. And the man with no Bible education writes the Bible. Now, and, and this is why Joseph has emphasized twice in verses five and seven that he had been sent by God into Egypt. Now, the second point that Joseph is emphasizing here, and this is burning in his heart, and he again emphasizes verse five, now therefore be not grieved, angry with yourselves, you sold me hither, God to send me before you, preserve life, verse seven, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He saw that the purpose of God that he had for Joseph was him, was life, life, to preserve life, to save lives. That purpose was what drove Joseph, and he didn't have any time to become bitter or angry at his brothers for what they did to him because he was filled with the mission that God had sent him to do, which was life, bring life. This is the same as it is with our heavenly Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's filled with the purpose that God sent him to accomplish is to bring life, and he keeps speaking about that. Life, John 3, 16, is all about being sent for life, for God so loved the world that he gave, or God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And John 6.51, John 6.51, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Joseph told his brothers in verse seven that God sent him to, to preserve, a them for, preserve for them a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph saw he was sent by God to save their lives by a great deliverance. And it's this great deliverance that we wanna consider now and ask the question, how was it a great deliverance? And to help us with this, I want us to just consider the word pass, P-A-S-S, pass. It, that's, the, that's what is embedded in the word Passover, Passover, pass, because it's the core meaning of Passover, it's the core meaning of Pesach in the Hebrew, Passover, which means a pass or an exemption. And we all know that on the night of the Passover, every firstborn of the house of man and animal died unless that house had the pass. And the pass was the blood that God commanded that every house should have on the top of the door and on the two sides, I'm going to Japan tomorrow I'm leaving for Japan tomorrow. Undoubtedly, my, my guests are gonna bring me and show me, because they're all over the place there, some Shinto shrine there. And in every Shinto shrine, Shinto shrines have a Hebraic origin. 
And in every Shinto shrine, there is a holy of holies, there is a holy place, there is a tabernacle type of setting in every Shinto shrine, and every Shinto shrine in the entrance of it, there are two posts that goes like this, two that are like this on the top, that is the gate that goes there, and it is the color red for the blood of the Passover. And I'm gonna tell them too, that this, that's a symbol in Chinese, Japanese, this symbol like that, and that symbol like that is for the Shinto shrine, but this is curved up, and I say, that's like a bowl offering to God. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. But anyway, I digress. Okay, so on the, and this is what happened, and so the blood was from the perfect lambs Without a blemish, lambs were all killed that night by each of the family. The blood is collected, the drama of it all. Can you imagine? At the time when Moses gives the, the, gives the call, I can tell you, I don't like it, but I have heard lambs scream when they die. So there is this screaming, a cacophony of screaming throughout all the camp there of the lambs dying. And if you don't think that's upsetting, and then collecting the blood from the lamb that just screamed, and going and applying it onto the doorposts like that, that was like living blood. Like God said, the life is in the blood. You just heard the screams. And, so, and then comes this tremendous verse, which again is like that bowl in the Shinto shrine. The tremendous verse in Exodus 12, 13, where God says, the blood shall be for you for a token upon the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The blood was the pass. Now, I want us to think of the word pass as, as, as to, to describe for us this great deliverance that Joseph spoke of. Let's look at the word pass as an acronym, where P stands for power, and A stands for adequate, and S stands for simple, and S stands for secure, and W stands for water. No, 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 don't write that down. <laughs> okay. No, S stands for secure. Now, that's how we want to look at what Joseph meant by this great deliverance. It was a great deliverance because it was from the power, the P, the power of Joseph. It was a great deliverance because it was adequate for the need. It was a great deliverance because it was simple, and it was a great deliverance because it was secure. Now, it was a great deliverance, this past, and that's what we want to look at, a great deliverance because it caused the famine of death to pass over them. Now, let's consider P. So P is for the power of Joseph. Now, it was a great deliverance because it came from the power of Joseph. Joseph, just think about it. Joseph was a slave. He was a Hebrew slave, a prisoner in the worst dungeon in Egypt. And Pharaoh had a disturbing dream one night. And it's given to us in Genesis 41.1. Genesis 41.1. It came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. And behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kind, cows, and fat-fleshed, and they fed in a meadow. They came out of the river. You don't have to identify which river this is. There's only one river that counts in Egypt. That's the Nile there. Came out of it. Behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean flesh, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. 
and the ill-favored and lean flesh kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind, so Pharaoh awoke, and so would you if you had a dream like that. And then it says, and he slept and dreamed the second time. So you can imagine Pharaoh shaking his head saying, whoa, that was a bad dream. I'm gonna go back to sleep. He goes back to sleep. He dreams the second time, and behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good, and behold, seven thin ears, and blasted with the east wind sprung up after them, and the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. He didn't know what was going on. He thought maybe he saw this, and he said, behold, for him, I was like, oh, it was a dream? It was that real to him. And so, so Pharaoh has this dream about the fat cattle and the lean cattle coming out of the River Nile, and he sees in his dream that the lean cattle devour the fat cattle, and then he wakes up and he goes back to sleep, and then he has a second dream about the fat ears of corn and the skinny ears of corn that were all dried out by that east desert wind that blows across the Middle East. And Pharaoh saw in his dream that the skinny ears of corn eat up the fat ears. And so these are the dreams that greatly disturbed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh knew the dreams were very important for him to understand because they dealt with the river of which the whole country gets its life. So he resorted to the wise men, to the magicians, as he normally did, and they couldn't interpret his dreams. They couldn't tell what they mean, so he was extremely upset, but he had to know what the dreams meant, and then all of a sudden, the chief butler says, oh, I forgot, there's a young man, he's a Hebrew, he's a slave, he's a prison, but he can interpret dreams. And so he, so they hurry Joseph out of prison, doesn't even have, hardly has time to shave. He's probably shaving as he's running. And he puts on his presentable clothes and he successfully interprets the dreams to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is so impressed that Pharaoh makes this proclamation in Genesis 41:38. Genesis 41:38. Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there's none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, according to thy word, shall all my people be ruled only in the throne. I'll be greater than thou. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, see, I've set thee over the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, arrayed him in the vestures of fine linen, put a gold chain about his neck, made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. They cried before him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, without thee shall no man lift up his hand or his foot in all the land of Egypt. Just imagine this, imagine this. A heathen king calling Joseph a man in whom the spirit of God is and making this proclamation that Joseph is gonna be over his house, he's gonna rule over all of Egypt, he's gonna be ruler over all Egypt, he wears the ring of authority that seals every decree, every royal decree. He's dressed in the royal clothes of linen, fine linen. He has a gold chain around his neck. He rides in Pharaoh's second chariot, and he has criers that go before him, commanding every Egyptian to bow the knee. And when the Egyptians speak to Joseph, which they will in Genesis 47:25, 47:25 they say to him, thou hast saved our lives, let us find grace in the sight of my Lord. 
they call him, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. The Egyptians called Joseph my Lord. Imagine all that. Imagine the parallels with the Lord Jesus Christ. God brought into a position of all power over Egypt a man named Joseph who was unknown in Egypt. Nobody knew Joseph. God brought into the position a man of all power that every man has to name the name of Jesus, and Jesus was unknown to the world, as he said. Hour that he got in John 5.22, 5.22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. God brought into power a man named Joseph, who was thrown into a pit to die, but then resurrected out of the pit to live. Just as the Lord Jesus was put into a tomb of death, but was resurrected from that tomb of death, because what it says about him in Acts 2.24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. In Philippians 2.6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think of all the people in Egypt who were bowing, constantly bowing before Joseph, And think of all the people who have bowed now to the Lord Jesus and will bow. So God brought a man into power named Joseph who was sold to the Ishmaelites, just as the Lord Jesus was sold by Judas. And God brought into power a man, Joseph, who was imprisoned, just as the Lord Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And God brought into power a man named Joseph when there was a great need to be saved from the death by famine, starvation, just as the Lord Jesus appeared, just the great need to save man from death of sin. So in short, God made Joseph the most powerful man on earth. And that's what Stephen said about him in Acts 7-9, Acts 7-9. The patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with them, delivered him out of all his afflictions, gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. And what did Joseph do with this power? He used his powerful position to accomplish the saving of the Egyptians and his own family by collecting all this grain for the years of famine just as the Lord Jesus used his power and his sinless life, his sinless blood to become the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, and that's the great significance when he was all finished and before he died in John 19.30, John 19.30, Jesus therefore received the vinegar and he said, it is finished, it was a cry, it was a victory cry. It is accomplished, it was a great deliverance that Joseph brought because Joseph was in a position of great power, and it was a great deliverance that the Lord Jesus brought because the Lord Jesus is in a position of great power. Second, 
It was a great deliverance because of the A, P-A, A, adequate. Joseph had collected so much corn that it says in Genesis 40, 41, 47, 41, 47, and in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in all the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. See, during these seven years of plenty, Joseph used all of his efforts to collect this corn. He, Joseph threw himself into this job of collecting corn. And he gathered so much corn, but the corn kept on piling up like the sand of the sea. And he tried to keep track of it. I'm sure he had guys who were, who were like, get that into the storehouses, you guys. That's your job. And they were doing that. And then the other guys, and he says, now sit there with your pencil and your paper and tally this stuff up and keep track of it. And, but, but, but there was so much corn that was, that was piling up, he said to the guys who were sitting down with paper and pencil, he said, forget about it. Go help those guys. <laughs> they went off there, and that's what they did. So much corn was coming in, they couldn't measure it. He just collected an unmeasurable amount of corn. So when the famine hit, and it, by the way, it didn't hit Egypt, it spread all throughout the Middle East. People were dying probably by the thousands, and death was everywhere, and no one could escape this death, and there was no deliverance in any country, except for Egypt, from the death by famine, and there was no help from the famine except from Joseph. And when the Egyptians came to Pharaoh for help, Pharaoh just told them simply in Genesis 41.55, 41.55, when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. So Pharaoh told the people to go to Joseph for help. When the people went to Joseph, they received help. It was just that simple. First, Joseph had enough corn for everyone who came to him. And that meant that Joseph did not turn away anyone who came to him. And when we see this, you know, that Joseph had an adequate amount of corn for everyone who came to him. That's an illustration of the salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ. He provides to everyone so they can escape the coming eternal, never-ending death of hell as a judgment for sin. And Joseph never said to anyone, you know, I'm really sorry, but we just don't have an extra corn. We don't have extra to spare. I've made a careful calculation of what we have, and the people have signed up already, there's nothing to spare. I'm sorry, I have to turn you away. He never said that. He never said, I'm sorry, but we ran out of corn. No, because from Genesis 41, 49, God made sure that the harvest was like the sand of the sea until he left numbering. It was without numbering. That provides a perfect illustration for the adequacy of feeding every person who came to Joseph. Joseph never cast out anyone that was wanting corn. And because there was so much corn that Joseph gave to every person who came to him, perfect illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said in John 6, 37, John 6, 37, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. In no way the Lord is ever gonna say, I'm sorry, but it, we only had so many salvation tickets and they're all gone now. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.